Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Uh, hello, Michelle. Hello. What episode is this? This is episode seven. And who are we talking to in this episode? This episode, we're talking to Pop Heart Productions. And more specifically, we're speaking to... Chelsea Newton-Mountney and Rich Foister. We should... Um, qualify that um, for the first half of this episode, due to a couple of um, sound difficulties, it does sound like we locked Rich in a small box and put the box in a filled up bath. Yeah, we didn't do that, but it sounds exactly like that. Um, and we've wiggled with the sound a little bit. Yeah. Um, we've done the best that we can do. Yeah. We are still learning. We are. We are always constantly striving to meet our exacting standards. We are. We are. And we've done our best. And I, I hope that um, that you'll forgive our slight sound issues. It does get better, though. It does. It does. About halfway through, about 30 minutes in, it improves massively in as much as we shifted people around the room a little bit better yeah. and we're, we're getting a little bit better at working the mics out. And the sound got better just in time for us to have a couple of swear words. It Yeah. There are a few swear words, not least because... Of the name of the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a sweary title. It is a sweary title. Well, uh, I guess there's a lot of swearing going on in Brighton at the moment because the Brighton Fringe is about to open. Yes, it's the sweariest time of the year for the Brighton Theatre Calendar. It's the most sweary time of the year. Um, that's staying in. So yeah, the Brighton Fringe opens uh, uh, officially really on Friday, but there's a couple of launch uh, events yeah. on Thursday. The uh, the Warren have their sort of big launch night with fireworks and stuff. Yes, and yeah. Sweet venues um, have a launch uh, slightly yeah. earlier in the day, from three till six, mm. uh, outside Sweet Waterfront and, and near the town hall with um, gelato from Boho Gelato and <gasps> sushi and stuff. Is there? Like yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Boho Gelato. Yeah. And so all that's going on on Thursday, um, which is also the opening night of Model Organisms. Yes. Uh, a play that I wrote. It, it is. is a play that you, Andrew, are directing. Yes. It is also featuring, starring Chelsea Newton Mountney. So yeah. there's a lot of nepotistic crossover in our whole podcast theme this week. There's lots of holding hands, holding arms, holding earlobes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very it's very come by our theatre land. So we should really um, get listening to what Pop Heart Productions, because they've got their own show to chat about. Although that's not the only thing we're going to be chatting about. No, not at all. No, we're, we're having a good old chat about how they got into theatre, what kind of theatre they're interested in, yeah. and, and where they're coming from and where they're going to. Let's find out. Yeah. This is episode 7 of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Uh, hello, I uh, hope you're very well on this lovely day or night or whenever you happen to be listening to it. Uh, we're aware at the moment there's a, a nest of baby birds just outside the studio. It won't be picked up by the microphone, but we're, we're just getting distracted by them. It's like a Disney movie. Um, so hello, um, collectively, your, your pop heart productions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we have uh, to, to my left, we have uh, Chelsea Newton Mountney, and a little bit further to my left, uh, and in front of me, we have Rich Foister. Staring you deep in the eyes. And what lovely eyes you have. Uh, all the better to. Um, let's stop that flirting right there. Um, hello, how are you both? Good, thank you. Yeah, totally good. So you're gearing up for the fringe? 
Yeah, we certainly are. Um, for us, it's just under a month until we open at the Warrens. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all go. Yeah, we're going to um, chat a little bit about uh, the show, particularly as it's got a, a, a particularly engaging name, which we'll, we'll discuss at uh, in more detail uh, later on. But uh, what do I want to ask you both, really, as individuals, as we get into the uh, deep into the conversation straight away, is where you came from before you were pop heart before you 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 formed this this union uh what was your earlier experiences of theater or devising um well for me i unfortunately though that's really mean i really loved musical theater growing up so um some of my uni training was in musical theater uh, but when i left uni i decided that i wanted to only focus on acting and directing and making why was that um I think I was drawn in by the sparkles and the the, the cutesiness of it, um, oh, of the dance, uh, of, rather of, of the dance, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, of that kind of musical theatre style. Um, but I've always made things that weren't theatre, like I've always sewn and done yeah. lots of artwork. And I kind of suddenly realised that I could marry two things, like the performance in the theatre, along with the making and and creating and making art. Um, and that was a bit of a revelation. Did you did you have or do you have a favourite musical? I still like Chicago. I'm a big fan okay. of Bob Fosse and his work. Yeah. Um, so, it, what what attracts you about him? About his work? It's dark and <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, and he really kind of ripped apart the rules. You know, obviously now Bob Fosse and that style of dancing scene is really contrived. But when it first came out, it was an absolute shock to what had come before in terms of styles of dance. Um, I guess I mean I'm not an expert, but it but it seems like it's deliberately less pretty. It's more defined lines and militant. Totally. I mean that partly came from he had lots of issues with his body, which restricted his movement. So that partly defined the style. Also, I think he was just a bit mental, like torturing people. So a lot of um, his movement, because it is so controlled, it's really painful to learn that style. And yeah. Once you get it, you have these like weird things you can do with your fingers, and yeah. So after um, some years of getting distracted by music and musicals that can torture you and and rip up your body, you decide to expand your horizons. Yes, new ways of torture. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, when I realised that you could be creative and also do theatre. That was a revelation, and I think musical theatre is great in lots of ways, but it's quite. I for me, I found it restrictive in terms of what I could do as a performer and what was expected of me. Whereas I think when you do kind of straighter acting, I mean straight as in you don't sing and dance. Yeah. That um, there's kind of a more flexibility for you to be an artist within that. So let's ask a, a somewhat loaded question on that. You were saying that you have more freedom in straight theatre. Freedom to do what? What couldn't you do in musical theatre? You never really get asked your opinion as an actor when you're doing a song and dance oh, routine. I guess because you're having to colour inside the lines. You don't have much... Yeah, it's... Um, what's the word? It's something... It's it's more on the surface. What you're talking yeah. about is, is how to represent a feeling in, the, in kind of the biggest way possible, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it's perhaps less about nuance in terms of emotion because the song and the dance help to express that nuance instead of just your face or you know you, you don't you never talk about subtext yeah. when you're learning a song and dance routine you know? nobody's going to thank you to uh, for being the noticeable girl in the chorus line no don't dye your hair or cut it <laughs> off because that will get you in trouble as well as um deciding that you're going to customize your leotard none of those things are a good idea you sound like you're quoting from feedback um no, 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 I've never been known for being the weird one, so that's fine. I'm okay, fine with yeah. it. Uh, Rich, have you ever had reason to customise your leotard? 
uh, only on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, uh, not a big dancer myself. I think I've got two left feet. I think about as far as... I think you've got three, babe. Yeah, I think about as far as my... That's an unfortunate line. Not going to take the bait. So, yeah, I think about as far as I venture into dancing is probably me and Chelsea at wedding parties. where We We destroy the the floor. With a pickaxe. With a pickaxe, yeah. Yeah. Sledgehammer, maybe. So, um, let's dial that conversation back a bit and ask you the same question again. How did you find yourself in the performance arena? So, the first memory I have of acting was um, age six at David Dore in the school nativity play, where I played the... um, great role of the innkeeper and the it's, it's an iconic role and the only thing i remember is needing to go to the toilet for pretty much the whole time prior to my life yeah yeah uh, so you you were quite prepared to just let the buggers in just as long as you could get um, off stage and go to the loo yeah uh, you could say that and then um from there i went to dorothy string at secondary school and i was lucky enough to be in the school choir and i think that's really that was instrumental in my sort of love of acting, theatre. Um, so similar to Chelsea, I come, coming from a sort of musical style, yeah. um, I was lucky enough to be a child opera singer. Uh, my voice is now broken, so yeah. I don't have quite that same talent. But um, but from there, and then I uh, did various other jobs, and then I kind of had a period of time where I was in the Navy. I left the Navy, and I kind of had a moment of epiphany where I was like, what was it that I really loved to do? Yeah. And when I look back on my life, and I looked at the moments in my life where I was really happy being on stage and performing and although it absolutely petrifies me in so many ways um it's one of those <laughs> things that you kind of deal with the fear because you love it sure yeah uh, uh we we can't let a line like i was briefly in the navy uh pass by without some examination uh but we i, I want to sort of come back to that later really although it's not necessarily i mean there are some songs associated with being in the navy <laughs> but we're, we're not gonna really mostly run based yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking more like seventies um, pop disco, but, but um, I never heard that one. Never heard that one. No, they have really, you have really good outfits in the navy, and yeah. Rich refuses. He said, "I'll have to kill him before he'll give me his naval uniform." No, what was it? Walk over your dead body. What was it? <laughs> it's a really good outfit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, can, you can do the whole officer and gentleman uh, up where we belong sort of riff. Yes. Yeah. Chelsea's the opposite. So <laughs> well, let um. What... <laughs> I just want the outfit. Oh, we all want the outfit. Um. So, but you were saying that you were in the choir before you were in the navy. You were in the choir. Um. What was your favourite song in the choir, Rich? I remember when I was at school singing Little Town of Bethlehem, and that was the moment where I I did I basically got asked to join the choir. Yeah. Prior to that, I'd done little bits of singing, but no one had ever really kind of said, "Oh, you can sing." I'd never really known I was never really known for being no. a singer and and I went in my music class they um it sounds a little bit archaic but they kind of got everyone to stand in a line and yeah. everyone had to sing like a verse of a song and the song that I got stuck with was Little Town of Bethlehem and uh, that's the thing that always sticks out for me but my... a lot of your early career appears to be largely occupied by the birth of Christ yes surprisingly I, I, I thought I was the second coming but Obviously not. Have um, you ever played? You have a slightly messianic look to you. Do, do, have you ever considered playing Jesus Christ? Uh, I've seen what happens to most actors who take on that role. Yeah, and uh, it's not good. No, no, no. That, that's all makeup. That's all all special effects. <laughs> well, I mean, 
I mean, well, Robert, Robert Powell did very well. But at the same time, you look at Jim Caviezel, it's not done huge wonders for his No, it's not, no. Interest, I think he might have gone on to do, but other than that, not a hugely booming career. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing I think was um, was instrumental was for me, uh, performing at Glyndebourne, having oh, the opportunity to uh, perform in Queen of Spades. And uh, I got to sing in Russian and meet all the people that sort of grafted so hard in the chorus and, and, and hearing their stories kind of were, was really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we've known each other for a, a good few years now and I didn't know that you were a, a singer or that so much of your career being through singing. I'm now thinking of cast iron, thinking, right, I want to write a, a 10 minute musical play for you um, and just have you, you know, singing songs. That may just be for my person. We can we can rent a booth and you, you, you can sing yeah. sing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to do that anytime, Andrew. Thank you, thank you. Um, so, Jesse, back at you, sort of blending the same question in, in terms of what your earlier, when you begin to create work for yourself, what sort of, um, or indeed when you started acting before you were creating work for yourself, what what were your earlier plays, either as a child or as an adult? Um, I remember doing like cheesy I can't even think of the playwright and he's really famous uh maybe Alan Aitborn stuff and things like that and yeah. then um the Caucasian chalk circle all of those classics that you be, you're forced to do as a child contractual obligation yeah, yeah you hate at the time and then later on you're like ah oh, that was really useful that I learned about that yeah um yeah and then obviously you go and you just have to end you end up studying stuff like Stanislavski and then they go on because they're like oh well if you want to do Stanislavski then you've got to look at Brecht and then you get into that and yeah um and all those obvious things but actually the older you get I think the more the more interesting they become yeah like yeah so I'm kind of really grateful for having to do all those now um, yeah because all the musical theatre kids just used to find doing straight plays really boring and I was really stupid. I didn't realise like that's what I much preferred. And I was like, ah, oh, I did a straight play. Oh, it's so interesting. All this characterization, all this like theory stuff. Yeah. And I always loved the theory behind it all, um, which was odd as a child. So yeah, that was kind of more my thing. So um, you guys, um, where did you meet? Via performance or not? We met outside of an acting class because we both turned up early and the door was shut. And we couldn't work out how to open the door. And that's how we met. That's how so many people meet. <laughs> and because we'd never been to the acting class before, we kind of grouped together and yeah. kind of supported each other through um, the painfully embarrassing sort of ordeal, really. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> uh, w- w- uh, where was this? This was uh, New Venture Theatre. Yes, yes. I believe it's you may have... The Monday night classes, yeah. Yes, the Monday night classes. So I just... We, out... we should point out that they're not... Of a fashion, they're not a painful ordeal. That's not what we put in the posters for. I, I think for me it was a painful <laughs> ordeal, more based on my nervousness having not performed for quite a long time. Yeah. I think for me that was more the ordeal rather than the class itself, which I found to be very informative. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what was the class? Because obviously the acting classes at the MVT are about a different thing each week. What, what were they about this time? Yeah, so it was... Uh, Stephen uh, O'Shea, oh, yes. who yeah. has directed a number of productions um, at New Venture, um, and uh, it was basically about. I think it was just text analysis. Yeah. How to look, how to approach text. Te- text analysis, a lot of uh, Stanislavski, um, and from there we did some of his. Uh, he, he also holds a class on a Tuesday night, so it kind of. Well, the working towards the performance. Working towards yeah. performance, so we did some uh, great work with him there. And, 
right through those nerves. Was this your, in- for both of you, was this your introduction as well as to each other? Was this your introduction to the new venture theatre? It was. That was when I'd only just moved to Brighton. So I just kind of Googled all anything drama in Brighton yeah. and was kind of trying to go. So yeah, it was kind of, I was just going to any any class I could find just to try and meet people that were doing theatre and acting. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's a, uh, not necessarily for to be acting yourself or to get involved, but also to meet other people who had the same well, sort of... Well, I did have no friends at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of quite keen just to meet yeah. humans. Uh, yeah. And other theatre geeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And so um, you, you've done work with a new vent- uh, the performance work with a new venture itself since. Yeah, we were both in a production of Amongst Barbarians, yep. directed by Sean Lippett. Um, and then... I was in a play called The Snow Queen, which is written by someone we all know. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, we did a um, <laughs> a short play evening uh, where we did a play called The Pool Boy, where I played... Uh... Yeah, what sort of character were you in that, Rich? I was a, uh, a pool cleaner from the deep south in America, uh, who also was a serial killer. Oh, excellent. Uh, Spoilers. Like my everyday yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah. And uh, Chelsea, you were in the same play. I was. Uh, it was two-hander, yeah. and I was a. Well, the character it said seductive, but I don't know how I did it. That it was a seductive, seductive detective. You couldn't even pronounce the word, I know, Chelsea. I'm come on, come on. By myself, seductive. A seduct. Oh God, <laughs> a detective. She was a sexy detective lady. Okay. There's a a Twitter feed called Casting Call Woe that uh, details um, inappropriate um, castings for female uh, leads, and they tend to be, you know, what the male characters will tend to be. Um, he is tortured by the death of his brother he uh, is a brooding atmosphere and he knows uh french the female characters tend to be sexy detective might be topless Um, i have to say at the end of that play i had to wear a bikini so yeah and it didn't even (laughs) win the competition and that's what pissed me off most because (laughs) i had to wear a freaking bikini and on the matinee the bikini top went a bit wrong and those pensioners got more than they bargained for and we didn't even win. I was like, how is that fair? You think if you're going to win for anything. <laughs> I know, yeah. a bit of tip. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving closer and closer to talking about Pop Heart itself, but um, before Pop Heart, were you um, doing other stuff outside of the NVT? Yes, yeah, so for a while we um, produced some projects for um, a friend of ours who is a musician and we directed um filmed music videos for her so um noir i was oh yes yeah artist um and so we produced a couple of music videos um we produced a couple of short films um which i think are somewhere looming on a hard external hard drive somewhere they're probably on a youtube near you yeah um um, so we did that for a while and then a script is something I've had in my head for a, for a while to write a, a, a play basically um, which turned into to decade 20 some of the people we've worked with um, on those music videos uh, moved on to other projects but uh, me and Chelsea pursued this project yeah that really led to the the genesis of, of, of pop, pop heart what inspires you to do that you know if you've um, uh you've been working on various projects and working with various people for any number of years. Why, why does one, I mean you, why does one suddenly decide that they want to write or is it that sudden? I mean, it's something that I've always been fascinated in. And then and I think to, to be honest, I, I felt like I, I really had, there was a, there was a moment in my life where I felt, really felt I had a story to tell yeah. at that time. And it was something that I felt I, I needed to channel, um, 
certain events in my life into something productive. And, and, and basically, effectively, the, the real germ of the idea was this, this idea that I, I, I was kind of sick of watching romantic comedies where you end up with two people who meet and then they fall in love and then it all goes horribly wrong and they break up and then they get back together again and everything's fine and it kind of glosses over all the horrible things yeah, that yeah. happen to them and it's all okay. And I kind of wanted to, to look at something which was more about two people you know who get together they break up you don't see them together you follow their breakup and you follow them coming to terms with actually they're probably better off not being together so it's an inversion of of the rom-com um is there um a rom-com not necessarily that that follows those those same rules i'm thinking of a film like i don't know 500 days of summer or whatever uh but is there a rom-com even if it has got a happy ending and the two characters do end up happily that you think oh that works i get that i believe those characters 500 Days of Summer was very obviously very instrumental um, in in terms of in, in terms of an influence, but I think yeah. um, the, the work that has always really driven me and always really inspired me is the work of um, Mumblecore Cinema. So and there's a director called Joe Swanberg. Um, yeah. He has a movie called Drinking Buddies. Yeah. Um, and it's about uh, to, uh, a man and a woman. They work at a brewery together, and they kind of have this on-off relationship. Kind of will they won't they get together. Um, and actually, the the guy has a girlfriend, and at no point do they ever get together. Okay. And the, yeah. the, there's a, and and I think what's lovely about that is the fact that there always seems to be this implicit need for there's a male character, there's a female character. Well, obviously these two must get together. Sure. And actually, I, I I think I think that really uh, does a disservice to relationships that we have with the opposite sex uh you were speaking uh, about that coming from the uh, the mumblecore movement yes. to which uh, pop heart um slight in you you, you start in your paraphernalia mm-hmm. about that being an influence yeah. um all, all our listeners are hip and young and know what mumblecore is but occasionally we get we get our mums and dads to listen so we might need to explain what mumblecore actually is okay so um basically mumblecore um comes out of the midwest of america um it's heavily influenced by uh, french new wave cinema um basically what it what its real um emphasis is are on are naturalism so dear of people in everyday situations having real realistic conversations it, a lot of it is improvised they lose a lot of um devising a lot of improvisation yeah. in their work um and and for me that's something that I always find really interesting because I I've always I always feel if somebody is saying something in their own words and invariably actors even when they're given a script will sometimes paraphrase paraphrase yeah. certain words but I think when words come from that person directly I think you get their truth and I think yeah. people can really relate to that and I think that's so i wonder how much of a restriction there is on the the story makers who are producing that work if you have to produce a certain storyline within a scene because let's attack that concept for a moment if it's just uh people saying their own words improvising events in real life how easy is it to make story a story on stage that we want to watch or hear well, I think that's where you end up with this uh, hybrid of, um, I mean, I think I think effectively you end up with something that's a little bit more devised, or at least that's something that, that we tend to do. And yeah. What we look at is having a overall structure, and we look at where we want the story to go and the story we want to tell. 
and then from there we 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 sort of workshop with actors to try and hit those points of the narrative and tell a story so the story is already established it's just that you're allowing your actors to find their truth. A different route within story. that confine. How how does that uh, feel for you, Chelsea? Uh, I might be contriving a link here, but in terms of dance, uh, Bob Fosse, scripted work that has got a definite sort of line to it, uh, something like Mumblecore, is that, have you, do you feel you're well-trained to attack that or the restrictions of that are helpful or not helpful? I think when I first left uni, I didn't feel equipped, although I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, over time, I mean, I, I fucking love that approach because it's it's free, you yeah. know, and there's such freedom to that as a director and as an actor um, that you can make something together and be, it, you know, it's just a totally different experience because it's a, it's a collaborative experience, you know, even if it is a more director and actor separation, it's sure. still totally collaborative because the actors freaking write it with you. Yeah. Um, and that's a really special thing because everyone then has ownership on it. Well, I was lovely. just going to say, so they really have, it's part of their DNA. They genuinely connected with those characters and those storylines. Totally. And it's been really interesting in the last couple of weeks because um, we had a friend of ours, a member of the company, but not an actor, step in and play um one of the actors parts for a session yeah and um she she had it written out in front of her but it was just completely different um naturally and she's seen those characters a thousand times yeah she's seen it a thousand times but that's what's so fab about it is you cast a particular bunch of actors and that show will be unique to that bunch of actors even if you recast it it's never going to be the same again indeed and that's super exciting when you're devising the storyline um, and coming up with the script and whatever, how much of it is it going on average going to be cut? How much of it is it going to be edited out? How much of it is gone? Well, this year, an bit... awful lot. Um, go on. No, I was going to say actually, this year. That's the that's the challenge. I mean, last year we we sort of assembled a cast, we worked together with the cast, and we had a lot of material. And I think. Um, we managed to create an hour and a half show and, and this year we are trying to create uh, as well as bringing back some of the material from last year and, and sort of updating that yeah. we're trying to bring in new material but at the same time we're also trying to cut it down to an hour so that's a challenge yeah I, I love cutting it I think it's really liberating you make all this work and it's so freeing just to go no and it's not because it's rubbish it's just because something else is more powerful it is there such a thing well there is but um, how is it for you about getting rid of stuff that you are genuinely in love with you go no that's not right for this show that has to go I, I really enjoy it I think I really like that brutality and that kind of editing and I find that really fun and there's that line isn't there about something about you know um if you're looking at a piece of writing that you take out your best line and then look at it again and it's going to change it and yeah I think you know there's something interesting in that and quite often with, with particularly cute lines lines that you're particularly fond of they probably don't actually add anything to the plot or narrative anyway they just sound cute totally that they're yeah. icing on the cake um so let's um just um spend a couple last moments with um decade 20 that was what two years ago for the Brighton Fringe uh 2015 yes yeah, two yeah. Years ago, yeah. uh and that was another an hour and a half or two hours it was a full length wasn't it yeah it was full length so about an hour and a half I think mm. if memory serves yeah how um because I'm I'm very old uh how did you get to the name decade 20 was it literally suggestion of the character's age as I thought it was uh, I th- it was yeah I mean basically it was it was about you know being at that 
being at that kind of very formative period of your life where you're in your 20s, which can sometimes be quite a transitionary period. And yeah. I mean, obviously, having you know spoken a little bit about my background, I mean, the 20s were especially uh, transitional because um, I'd sort of done quite a lot of stuff throughout my 20s. So yeah. I, I've discussed various names. I, I Okay, okay uh, let's hear the names. Yeah. So one of the names that I always had, which... Uh, I always wanted to call it, but um, I think I'm glad we didn't in the end. But I always wanted to call it Hipster Jamboree. (laughs) I'm up for that. I thought would have been brilliant. Yeah, but but you want to call every show Hipster Jamboree. Something Jamboree, yes. No, I I don't, but Hipster... uh, That was something I wanted to call it. Although I now want to go down to somewhere like the the open market and buy some Hipster Jam. Um, (laughs) That would be golden. Well, and I I think... I think after we workshopped it, I think... We looked at the material, and actually, I think it was very relatable to the kind of experience anyone has has in their twenties. Yeah, was it a play for people in their twenties? No, we really want to appeal to a younger audience because we feel they're often quite missed in mainstream theatre. Yeah. However, no, the subjects that it discusses, the same as um, our show this year discusses are things that are relatable to everyone. You know, we've all had relationships that have gone wrong. We've all felt alone. We've all wondered about who we are. And that is universal to any age, I think. Yeah, and I, I think the, the 20s is more referring to perhaps the characters in the play rather than specifically that we were only going for that demographic. Of course, uh, but if, if a play has a, a cast of people in their 20s, then we, we well, might it assume... it did character. It did, it did. Um which was a great role, a great um, performance Scales. as well, Trevor Scales. Um, but I want to pick up on something that Chelsea, you, that you just said in terms of sometimes, more often times perhaps, people in their tw- audiences in their twenties get ignored. Theatre is sometimes not for them. What are we doing wrong then? Whether that be us at this level or professional theatre, why aren't people in their twenties going to see theatre? Just throw that big question on you. I think number one, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, if you've got to pay over ten pounds to sh- see a show, that's a lot of money to someone that's on a small wage. Like, um, because to be um, a venue and to put bums on seats, you have to often produce shows that are more known to older audiences. Yeah. I think perhaps, maybe definitely, there's a certain snobbery that goes along with seeing the theatre, and it's something cultured that one must do, and that's not true. I think it should be part of everyone's life and you know if it wasn't for theatre we wouldn't have tv and film and we can all enjoy that so um i don't see any reason that you know a younger audience can't enjoy it and you know i think it's often seen as something which is kind of a bit deeply uncool to like the theatre when you're younger because it's jazzy and there's a lot of interesting dark things that are produced and um i think the more you open your eyes to it like the more you realize like Go on. <laughs> I just think when you when you're younger I th- as well, I think I think especially when you have access to to film, yeah, um, as a as a medium, it's something that is a potentially equivalent or cheaper than mm. going to the theatre. I think you, I think there's probably incorrectly the belief that you can um, show more in film than you can in theatre yeah. because you've got the application of CGI. Um, and, and various yeah. other computer uh, computer techniques. I but think, isn't I, it that thing about like suspense of disbelief, and that you know, with a film, you've got all the right tools to really suspend reality. Within our circles, perhaps has always been cited as a positive, exciting thing. But I am, can imagine is a bit 
disturbing and possibly even scary to people who aren't necessarily into theatre, which is that being an audience member isn't passive. You have to put the work in. If you're watching films or TV, you can sit on the sofa, watch a bit of Netflix, pop out of the room. You are, you know, if you need to go to the toilet, there's no embarrassment attached to that. You just stop the um, the transmission, go off and come back. So that you don't particularly have to be active at all. Whereas with theatre... I think I think the funniest thing is that at the moment the big trend seems to be in cinema that they're trying to create these 4D cinemas, 5D cinemas. Yeah, you can experience everything if you're there in the room. There is something that already does that. <laughs> Theatre. We found a soapbox for you here. Yeah, Rich. But, it, but there is. I mean, it, it, to me, it's 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 hilarious that they're trying in to to make film like theatre and it's like but, but theatre already exists and actually if you really want to experience something you can sit in a room and and yes you have to work hard and you have to invest in it but like you have to invest in anything to truly get the most out yeah. of it and i think i think unfortunately i think people it's maybe not seen as 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 maybe uh as accessible and it's maybe not as hip or trendy in the just sort of general everyday sure. public um especially people when they're younger but. and i guess there's also a thing if you um have i don't know a a car chase in film that will have um, a certain amount of budget attached to it and it can have a certain amount of special effects Mm -hmm. whereas if you have the same thing a car chase on stage Mm -hmm. with two actors on chairs and nothing else and literally no set Mm -hmm. your budget is unlimited you you can go into space you can have a volcano you can you can have a transformation with no special effects and that can be somewhat rewarding in its own uh, particularly in stuff like improv which does lead me neatly to another project that pop heart have been involved with in november we did a show called results will vary uh so that was uh, uh what kind of improv was it because there are different ki- types of improv so that was a long form show which means it was a or it tried to be an entire <laughs> story instead of just sketches oh so this is the thing where we are, won't uh, play lots of different games throughout the evening the audience might mm. give you a, a feed line at the start of the night then you spin out so the way that um, we uh, the, the way the process worked was we provided everyone before they went in with a choice of 10 um, themes that they could pick two from yeah. and from there we would create a narrative um, out of thin air yes out of thin air that was great fun so how was that because we one doesn't necessarily rehearse uh, improv because uh, it's a new thing each time, but you sort of, you workshop it, you prep it. H- how did you find that? Obviously, there are lots of different formats um, for doing uh, improvisation and even long form. Um, yeah. But obviously, you have a structure in, in terms of um, how you're going to thread the story. So we just rehearsed the structure over again. So we, t- we had a, our own version of a Harold that yeah. we... Yeah. Um, it's called Red Lipstick. Called Red Lipstick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was rehearsing that. And then also, obviously, because the themes were decided like a couple of weeks before the show. So we'd have like evenings where we go, oh, well I, don't, well, I can't even remember what the themes were now. It seems like ages ago. But we'd like riff off a theme for an sure. evening. Yeah. yeah. we would just pick out other themes and just give them a go and see what happened. And how often when you were uh, workshopping the improv, uh, I'm going to say rehearsing, even though it's not necessarily a helpful phrase, how often when you were rehearsing improv did you come up with a, with a scene, a story, a evening you go, where you were end up being quite annoyed that that wasn't the one that the audience got to see? That was totally annoying, yeah. yeah. You, you, and then it's like you get to the show and then you do a show and you're like, oh, if only I'd done that joke now. 
and that's really annoying yeah. obviously you can't that's... but it's kind of proving the point that it, that it even though audiences will have their suspicions that, it, that it's not actually scripted you haven't planted yeah. the plot points in or you haven't no. planted no. lines in for yourself but you can't I mean you, you, we, we because we had 10 that there to choose from it, it, it we, we we wouldn't have been able to do that it just wasn't like practical to, to sort of do no. it in that way and... often improv audiences don't get i guess is that it's actually going to be more work it's going to be harder work yeah. for you to plant the lines in totally yeah. because it's um i always say that it's much harder like if you're devising say uh, it's much harder to improvise um onto like a set idea or a set yeah. story that you've got to get to um than it is just to go a de- free. A destination point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and also you've got to you've got to learn a structure and then on top of that you've got to learn 10 shows you might it's, as well just do a script you might as yeah, well just yeah. not not have have it all scripted and might as well just improvise yeah. it which is yeah. exactly yeah and uh, any uh, future for improv for the pop heart team it always comes in I mean obviously yeah. with devising bits and bobs we always end up doing it I mean even on a level of like if you're warming up we're like oh yeah let's do that improv game sure yeah, um, yeah. We love it. And even with our show that we're doing this year for The Fringe, yeah. obviously there are elements of improvisation that come into that as well. Yeah. Um, no in one the, show. In performance itself. In performance. Yeah. No two shows are ever the same. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, that's, uh, we, we should talk about the show that you're doing this year. And we've been quite coy about the name. Possibly. Um, let, let, let's, let's hold the audience's hand on this. Because uh, it's got a, a name that you sometimes use for radio and for polite conversation which is is what so well polite it's please. am i f able and it's like a word that rhymes with duck if yeah. you're gonna say it like shortly okay yeah. um so, so the, the, so, am i duckable so the, so the polite sense of version is am i affable as yes as yeah. am, I, am i a pleasant person to, to be chatting to whereas yep. the uncensored version is am i fuckable am i fuckable um where did that name come from? It was all me. Uh, <laughs> this one over here. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to do a show called Am I Fuckable? I was like, I wonder if anyone will come to a show with, with a rude word in. I wonder. And then I was like, oh, am I fuckable? Well, that's interesting because essentially what that means is can I be loved? Am I desirable? Am I going to end up alone? Which is something we all feel at times, I hope. Yeah. Um, so I thought riffing off that theme of such a universal theme of can I be loved that was a really um, great title to start devising from well there's definitely a sense of and it, I, I, it can be a positive and a negative thing of a, rel- a, a young group a young Twitter group uh, doing a show with a rude word in the title uh, we can certainly be accused of trying a bit too hard to be shocking was that ever a concern? no <laughs> um no, that never really came to my head. And then when I started going, people, what it, when I started saying what it was called, sure. people were like, "We can't call it that." And I was like, "Oh, well, I well I have." <laughs> and then, what, why <laughs> did they did they say why you couldn't? Um, one of the arguments was that it was um, studenty, which you know, kind of understand, yeah. or that it was um, kind of a t- like it was like attention seeking, or it was like. Um, well, that he wouldn't get taken seriously. Well, it certainly is attention seeking. I mean, if if you're going to put a swear word in a title, yeah. it definitely is attention seeking. Um, and I, I don't know if we can necessarily argue that it's negative or positive, but it definitely is. Look at me in that sense of using a swear word. Um, but you, you, that was never a concern for you. No. 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 <laughs> and then the further we went along, I was like, oh, now I'm a bit worried about this, but. 
Like, I never really was. I don't know. I just always really believed in the concept of it. And I thought, what's the point in changing it to am I lovable? Because yeah. that just sounds so bland. So well, the, 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 I want to chat about that because that, that is a, definitely a different title. But before we get to that question, so Chelsea, are, are you a consummate swearer? Are you, do you swear a lot? I have been known for it. <laughs> yes. Rich, how about you? Do, do, uh, do you swear? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me if Chelsea swears. <laughs> In which case I could randomly say yes. Care, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I swear. I swear um, probably not. I don't, know, I don't know. Interesting question. Okay, what's the point of swearing? Why do we swear? Because we think we're clever. <laughs> I, I think, and I think generally it's an emotional outburst. It's like yeah. sometimes you want to have a word that is says more than just I'm fiddlesticks or I'm, yeah. I'm annoyed. You know, you, yeah. you kind of you kind of want you want people to see you annoyed so you yeah. say something offensive to try so it's and demonstrative yeah. you know what as well i think it's a bit about taking being taken seriously obviously there's a lot of situations and work and bits of work in my life where i don't swear at yeah. all and um you know i don't show that side of me but as uh, i'm going to make it as a feminist thing but as a young woman you are not often seen as serious intelligent or you know to be taken as something someone that is to be believed in or clever or has a brain and sometimes being swearing which is essentially aggressive can be useful in being heard <laughs> well yeah absolutely and i guess there's a sense of that element of your voice or of a woman's voice is not being silenced or censored if you're going to swear as a young woman or indeed if you're going to swear as a woman uh then we know that you're not censored totally and i remember saying to my mum uh, when we were talking about swearing, um, this was long before the title of the show, <laughs> that um, I came up with the argument that to swear um, was a feminist act and that um, it was an act of rebellion because a society wants me to sit here and be pretty and I refuse. Um, and I, I did win that. Time. I was going to say, I imagine that argument went down reasonably well. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about that title, Am I Fuckable, as opposed to Am I Lovable, Am I Desirable? Um, because yes, you can say that um, elements of your plot are about Am I Desirable, Does Anybody Love Me, whatever. But there is, quite aside from the possible aggression of a swear word, or the possible attention-seeking of mm. Am I Fuckable, Am I Fuckable, that, 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 that's sometimes that funnels it down to a particular point it funnels it down to a particular act totally N not if you know am I does anybody fancy me but am I fuckable uh, am I uh, am I uh, around for am, am I desirable for a one night stand mm. can I have fun and also something that I noticed in the title it does funnel it down to the one saying the word, am I not are you no are we mm. and so it becomes a, a very personal act it, how much of that is relevant I think that you know we wanted it to be a question and you know we want it we want people to watch the show and come away um thinking about the things they've seen in terms of like oh yeah you know like i i have noticed that in the news or i did notice that about my phone or yeah. I, I had a conversation like that once and you know we really want to make it about people it's not even about so much our personal experiences it's trying to make it broader than that i think anytime you put uh when your title of your show is a question i think it encourages um, the audience to to question themselves and to provide an answer and to provide an answer yeah. and I think that's the whole idea of the show um, from from my perspective is that it, it is something that the audience feels actively invested in yeah um, it's it, it's not a beginning middle and end narrative the play 
No, it's... Fact, is, it a, is it a play? It, well... It's a, it's a series of vignettes. Yeah. Um, so, um, sort of scenes. Um, there are a few overriding narratives. Yeah. So, for example, one of the um, groups of scenes that we have in our show is set in an office. Um, yeah. Now, that appears three times throughout the show. So there is a narrative strand for there scenes, for yeah. those scenes but uh, effectively it's a, uh, a collection of different people um, experiencing um, different insecurities in different situations totally yeah. I mean another main theme of the show um, is to do with how we communicate now and all the technology we have and how we can be more connected than ever but in fact we can we can we're feeling more isolated than ever um so that's something that runs through the show and we kind of take different viewpoints on that and um arguments and showing different characters and their experiences with various dating tools that you can get um on your phone yeah, yeah. and there is the, the phone is a, is one of the linking themes of of is your piece yes. you, you're you're of a generation really that's you, you've i imagine whether you somewhat always had a phone at your hip you you, you haven't been bound to to a landline yeah and i and i i think i, I think obviously you know you have experiences where you sit around the table with your friends and everyone has a phone in front of them and everyone is on facebook everyone yeah. is on tinder everyone is on twitter you know they're they're constantly you know engaged in social media or trying to find someone that loves them or or, or whatever it is <laughs> not just our friends like people in general yeah. anyone anyone in the world i think yeah. you know has been in, in a situation like that and it's something that you know we really wanted to highlight and we really wanted to sort of bring to people's attention and I think the other thing that 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 is really rife at the moment is how um commoditized we have become as people I think you know you look at Facebook yeah. you look at um you look at Tinder I mean you've got an app on your phone where literally you look at a picture of somebody yeah. and decide from that picture of somebody whether that person has any merit or whether that person um is is worthy enough of your attention and i think yeah. you never get to meet that person that person could be the love of your life and i think that's deeply deeply sad and i, I think yeah. that's something that we really wanted to, to sort of bring yeah to the surface. i think we're trying to play on a, a few different ideas of what it is to be a person in this modern age yeah have we gone down too far down the tinder rabbit hole can we can we pull ourselves back I don't know what the Tinder rabbit hole looks like. Um, I imagine there's... I mean, that sounds like a very dark place. Yeah. But um, I think... I don't know. I've always found it really ironic that we're producing a piece of theatre, which is, you know, kind of quite low tech. Theatre is generally quite low tech. Of course, yeah. you've got amazing lights and mm. you can, you know, and there's multimedia things now, but um, we're do producing something that's so low tech and it's theatre. And I, I just find that really jarring and I really enjoy that. Yeah. I mean that's so the, I hope we can if there's still people making bits why, of art with their hands and yeah that's why I think it's the format to present it in because it's it's turning that on its head yeah mm. um I saw the the first version of this uh, last year for, for the fringe and it, I remember it being it's it was sold out you were having to turn people away we were yes uh <laughs> yes we were we were very uh lucky um mm. and also well very lucky that we've worked very hard on producing hopefully what is to be a very interesting show yeah. um this year there's lots more tickets available so hopefully everyone yeah. this year will get to see it because it's a slightly longer well it is a longer run isn't it yeah and you're at the warren we're at the warren uh, studio three 
Um, so we've got six nights over the, the course of the fringe that yeah. um, the show is, is, is being performed. Um, so the first, just to do a casual yeah, plug, yeah. uh, <laughs> the first four nights are the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th of May. Yeah. Uh, all shows are at 21.30. Oh, better than ex-military. Yeah. 9.30, yeah. in case you're not from the 80s. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> 9.30 p.m., yeah. GMT. Yeah. Um, and then on the 3rd and 4th of June, so we're closing up the Fringe oh, on the 4th of June at 9.30 p.m. Then. And nine thirty is a pretty cute time actually, because you know it, it a play called Am I Fuckable, you know, where we might have had a couple of drinks already, because mm. uh, it is a fun show, isn't it? Yeah. it, it although it might be about at times about loneliness, it, is it totally. I think it it straddles a lot of dark themes, but yeah. straddles. Um, <laughs> but it has a whole lot of light in it, and I think even though it is dark, I think what we want people to come away with is hope, mm. and I think it's a really hopeful show. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's what the the central narrative of our show is hope. I think you know you've, you you've got on both sides of the spectrum. You've got stuff that is very um, challenging, yeah, um, in, emotionally, and then you've got on the other hand you've got things which are humorous, and and, and hopefully that should mm. create a really rounded experience. Yeah. So why it be a show that can be quite bawdy and discussing sex and whatever? I imagine it's also a show that can be somewhat family friendly or at least bits of it can be family friendly because there are going to be elements there are going to be moments during the fringe when you're going to be performing bits of this out in the street where kiddies could go walk past yeah yes we have um two fringe city slots at the moment and our amazing actors will be performing uh on saturday the 13th at 20 past one and on sunday the 14th at 1023. Perhaps you wouldn't take a child of, say, six don't. to our show. I, don't. Please don't. <laughs> Honestly, please don't. Um, you, you wouldn't do that. But uh, at the same time, um, you can you experience... Steal a car. Exactly. You wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't steal a policeman's helmet. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, um, for, in, these, in these snippets that we're showing, we've worked really hard to make sure that it's something that is accessible for everyone of all sure, ages yeah. that can walk along new roads, stop... There's not even any swearing in it. And we not make really sure there is no... no swear words you're speaking about your amazing actors so it's not just you two it's not us performing in any capacity okay. um we have three wonderful actors who take to the stage we've got lisa james and heather rose yeah. um who are our uh, incredible cast um they're an absolute joy to work with and so. that was the same cast as last year definitely so you, yeah. you, you've kept on to them we we, oh, we had to work hard i mean they're really amazing did. and we're really lucky to be they're in demand aren't they they are in they demand. Are in they're demand. a talented bunch. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa and Heather are involved with a show called Funny Tasticles, which I think you may know about. Yeah, we've spoken to them a couple of podcasts back. Yeah. Mm. Which I've listened to, which I thought was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And James, um, post Fringe, uh, he's directing a short play at MBT. So, yeah, they're all busy bees. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and is it, it's not because so you're not, you guys aren't on stage yourselves. Rich and Chelsea, you're not on stage. That's right. We are not on stage. So it becomes a bigger thing. So it's it's the so how many people are involved more or less with um, pop art? So we've got three amazing actors: yeah. James, Heather, and Lisa, who are all incredible. And then we have other collaborators. We have the amazing Elena Manwaring, 
who made an incredible um, promo video for the show, which yeah. you can look up on our Facebook page if you so desire. Yeah, um, uh, and she does bits of directing as well and lots of branding stuff. She's just generally all round talented. She's amazing. Yeah, she's um, done the poster, uh, I should point out, for Modern Organisms as well, which mm -hmm. we're, we're delighted and uh, terrified by the talent there. Yeah, she's kind of good at everything. Which is an absolutely it's amazing scary, thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary, yeah. She's incredible. And, and uh, you know, she's, oh, she, not only she's done that, she's worked on uh, the poster um, for our friends at, at Fanny Testicles as well yes. and, and created that poster. Yeah. Um, she's created this amazing video, which, um, as you said, which is on our YouTube page, Facebook, all, all those places. You can you can check it out and yeah. see just how great her work is. We'll, we'll stick a link for that on the uh, end of the podcast as well. And we also work with another incredible girl called Kaylee, who does yeah. all our tech stuff. Um, has also helped devise bits of the show. Mm -hmm. um, she is an incredible uh, improviser and actor as well. But for us, she kind of tends to do the more tech stuff and marketing. She, yeah. She, yeah, she helps with the marketing. She does, um, you know, both Elena and um, Kaylee are both intrinsic to our, our sort of tech side of things. They they both help us with the, the sound and the lights and help create the whole overall this is going to sound very pretentious, but ambiance of the yeah, show. Yeah, sure. And there's, I guess, a sense, particularly if you are, if you're, if you are designing the poster and the video, if you are designing and operating the lights, that makes you as much a performer, an active performer, or part of the story as the people who are on stage. Totally. I always think that people underestimate the importance of the technicians in their show. I remember, you know, um, relating to that. I mean, I think that was a lesson I remember learning when I when I was doing when I was younger because I remember just the stage managers were just like so on point they, yeah. they just had to be everywhere at the right time they had to have everything ready at the right time and it's such a, a thankless task and they don't think they get you know anyone that does any tech side of things gets the the praise they necessarily deserve yeah. um for, for their contributions to a show they're invaluable i would say so it's, it's really as you say it's a genuinely collaborative uh project pop heart productions totally. yeah you're you're quite busy as well i, I happen to know that you're it, and my fucker boy is not the only thing that you're involved in for this this fringe. No, it's not. I'm also doing a show called Model Organisms, yeah. written by the incredible Michelle Donkin yeah. and directed by Andrew Allen. Yeah. How? Um, this is a bit of a loaded question. Um, how are you finding that? It's been an incredible process so far. The script. <laughs> is... Why are you laughing? Take me seriously. I'm loving the phrasing <laughs> so far. Um, it is two weeks today until yeah. the show. This is on recording, of course. Um, yeah. And I'm very scared because it's a one woman show and I never have done a one woman show before, but it's an incredible opportunity to work on a great script with a fantastic director. So I'm very excited um, to take it to the stage. We'll chat about that further at a future podcast, I'm sure. But um, I guess I want to ask you while we briefly mention it, um, how is it or how do you find learning that volume of lines? A challenge. Yeah. Um, I think there's... If I ever meet an actor that's like, oh yeah, lines are so easy to learn, I'm great at learning lines, then just I'm gonna really hate them. Um, no, I've, <laughs> I don't. I think line learning is is a very particular skill, and some is it a particular skill depending on what the project is as well. Do you have different methods depending on what what play you're doing? Definitely, I think um, with this script, I have resorted to recording <laughs> my own voice, uh, saying the lines and listening to it at all times when we walked here together yeah. i said to rich is it really if i put my headphones in and listen to the script and literally walked here it took half an hour and i just listened to my own voice and you made a good joke yeah. i planted it oh, for you 
He said that I love the sound of my own voice. Yeah, now you can hear your own voice in stereo. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, uh, we're looking forward to that. We're working hard on model organisms um, as, as we speak, really. And so yeah, as you say, two weeks today uh, at the time of recording, which means it's going to be a matter of days by the time this uh, podcast drops. Which, me- which, means you, which means for both for Am I Fuckable and for um, Model Organisms, and indeed in a lot of the plays that we've already mentioned, the the, uh, the work that we've mentioned, t- tickets are on sale now. They are all on sale. If you yeah. head to the Fringe website, you'll be able to find all of these amazing plays in one place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, Pop Pop Productions. I'm speaking to both of you here collectively. Uh, yes. Pop Pop Productions. Um, we gave you the heads up of a couple of questions that we ask all our guests on the Cast Iron a podcast uh things that we always ask like um is there a book at the moment that you're reading that we should really um, get on board with is there a film that you've watched recently that we should watch is there, is there another podcast that you're listening to so much i consume huge amounts of these things um yeah. so yeah at the moment um i'm i really enjoy um i enjoyed 13 reasons why oh yes, um, yeah. it's the latest thing i watched on on netflix um i think it's really interesting to see um, a narrative being created that feels realistic and exists in the world of adolescence. And I think yeah. that's a really powerful subject matter to be covering. Um, if I, I won't go into too much, I'll just say watch it. Uh, were you were you training it? Were you uh, binging it? Or did you as, it out? As much as work, rehearsals and... You're not very busy, really. <laughs> general, you know, uh, domestic life will, will allow. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I basically binged binged it in about i think two weeks but yeah. yeah i really enjoyed it i have to say it's like uh strange that i think it's selena gomez is one of the producers of it yeah. though i think that was, that was quite an interesting one going from from the disney pack so it were sure. to doing something that powerful and moving i thought was an incredible you does know, that just mean that progression get, as an artist does that just mean that we're getting old that the, the people that we'd put into the tweeny pack back at and now well, producers and yeah i suppose i mean because i mean if you look at ryan gosling he was yeah. in the disney club wasn't he back in the the day so it, it, i mean that that not i'm not saying it's not producing great artists D- so disney are doing very some very yeah. dark stuff at the yeah, moment definitely. Um, yeah definitely yeah have you been watching anything recently that you've enjoyed i don't enjoyed? really watch many things but um i do love to read and at the moment uh i have been reading the Age of Bowie by Paul Morley, yeah, um, which is really interesting as a bit of an obsessive. Any book is kind of interesting, but um, it's really beautifully crafted the way it's written and goes into loads of details that I didn't know. So I very much enjoyed that. So that's an interesting title, The Age of Bowie. That's suggesting that we lived in the Age of Bowie. I suppose so. I mean, it follows a certain time frame. Um, Paul Morley also helped curate the exhibition oh, yeah. that was at the V&A yeah. about Bowie. So it talks a bit about that as well. Did um, you see that? I did. It it kind of made my life. Like, yes. um, it, was a, it was really, really silly, but I came away from that. And that was kind of the moment that I was like, I have to make shit. Come on, like, why? Get your stuff together. Was it your, was it your Damascus? Was it a religious Well, moment? I was already, like, selling clothes and stuff that I was making, but I wasn't um, making theatre or any short films or anything like that at the time and that was the real catalyst yeah i think it was the first time that we grouped together with some other people as well um and yeah that was such a catalyst seeing that and was like come on oh i remember yeah we did do uh, well a friend of ours who's a makeup artist was doing a 
Bowie themed shoe anyway, yeah. and that was like just the best thing ever for me. What is the... Also, she's uh, wearing a Bowie badge, which I realise right, is a really bad really visual weird. gag for <laughs> a podcast. But you know, what 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 is what it what is the iconic Bowie outfit? Oh, God, I mean that's hard to define it to one. I'll give you three. Okay, so um, the one, I really like like the knitted one that's like a knitted leotard <laughs> and then it's got like knitted bangles on his legs. That for me really works. Where's that? For, do you remember? That's what? from the Ziggy Tour. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then um, for the Diamond Dogs, I think it was for the promotional shoot, he's wearing like a mustard suit and yeah. he's, holding, oh, yes, he's holding a cigarette and a dog and it's just like the best combo ever. <laughs> cigarette and <laughs> a dog. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, number three. See, I really like the front cover of, I think it's the cover of Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. And he's wearing, that's pre-Ziggy and he's got like long hair and he's basically wearing like a dressing gown, dressy thing. Oh, yes, yeah. And I really like it when men are super effeminate, so yeah. I'm all over that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's expand that question as well, because I know that Pop Heart are, um, you've you've got a video at the moment um, pr- promoting Am I Fuckable? So let's... Um, develop that question again what's the iconic bowing video um again you can have three if you need it uh, I just, oh that's so hard <laughs> that's so hard i like life on mars that's my favorite life on mars i think oh is yeah that, is the music or the video a uh, video i yeah. love the video i think it's i always wish that was there was a music video for rebel rebel because um that for me is so evocative in terms of lyrics that there's not really like a proper video for it that i found there so. is again just to plug something not to do with us but there is an amazing video uh filmed a couple of years ago i think and it's done in a stadium in italy yeah. and it's thousands upon thousands of people lining the stadium and they're all playing rebel rebel <laughs> and there's like guys playing drums and playing guitars and there's like hundreds of guitarists hundreds of drummers and then everyone oh, in the just... audience is singing it and it's oh, just yeah. it's the most incredible thing and it was like it, it really got notoriety just after sure. bowie's yeah. passing I do remember some uh, a story associated with Ashes to Ashes video that the filming of the Ashes to Ashes video when they're having to do that long shot of walking in front of the um, the digger of uh, um, him in the clown makeup and stuff, mm. and somebody else was walking the dog. You know, remember the public walked into shots and just wouldn't move, and and the director had to stop filming and go, you, you need to move. And the guy goes, why do I need to move? And the director was saying, do, do you, pointing at Barry, do you know who this is? Some cunt. Um, and Barry said that he always took that on as a piece of advice to remember who he was. Um, that video is really interesting because um, mm. at the time, because they used the Blitz kids, um, the Blitz kids, you know, the subculture in London who yeah. came up with lots of great fashion and art. And um, there's a great story about one of them was dressed in like a nun's outfit and it got stuck like it got stuck under the wheel of the digger or something there's a yeah. shot where you can see it happening if you're so inclined and you fancy watching a blitz kid get his nun outfit trapped <laughs> that's, that's a weird like, like sub snuff movie going on there <laughs> yeah but like the artsy version <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's okay if it's artsy yeah quite uh, rich are you reading at the moment have you been reading recently the I haven't. I think the last book I read um, was about three or four months ago. I'm not yeah. a voracious um, reader because mainly I'm just knackered all the time. Sure. Um, so last book I read was J Pod uh, Douglas Cooper, oh, yes, yeah. um, which I 
loved. Um, I thought it was the most bonkers out there story I've ever read in in my entire life. Are, are you Generation X or are you post Generation X? Um, we're generate Generation. Technically, Generation Y, yeah. otherwise known as Millennials. Oh, are you are you are you Millennials? Uh, millennials, yeah. Anyone? Are, are, are you called Millennials, or would you claim that title for yourself? Am I? What am I? Uh, am any, I, any, am well, I in that bracket? Researched it. I think it's re- when they researched. I think it was eight, seventy-nine to nineteen ninety. So you're just on the cusp uh. um, of of Millennials. Anyone um, prior to that is Generation X, and anyone after that is Generation Z, who were very weird. Don't don't be horrible about the youth. No, no, not about not about not about the youth. But in, t- in terms of the, they've done a lot of research into it. But I haven't done as much studying into that as obviously yeah. my own generation because I'm self obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were um, in J Pod. Yeah, J Pod, um, brilliant. I mean, it, just the, the idea. You know, again, obviously, again, a, a book that's all about uh, a man who works um, program programming computer games. Yeah. Um, at the same time he's got a mother who deals marijuana and then at the same time he's friends with the guy who's a member of the triads it's it's literally as mad as it sounds yeah. uh, but one of the things i really love about that book is that it's it's um it's it's an experience reading it because they do some really interesting things like in the middle of the book they go so we played a game where we hid uh, a number in a load of ones and zeros like a number yeah. two in a load sure. of ones and zeros and that goes on for seven pages and you're reading through all these pages trying to find the, the number two but yeah. as it gets further into the book they keep doing this and the games get more and more complicated and yeah. I'm I'm really really Rich lost like three days yeah, I, I, I'm really yeah I, I really can't help myself that, but try and find it but unfortunately I think about four or five times I just gave up because I was just like I can't see it anymore okay. uh, <laughs> uh, is, there, is there a film that we should be watching. I mentioned one I um, earlier. I think people should watch. I really recommend um, looking into the work of Joe Swanberg. I think yeah. Drinking Buddies is a is a is an amazing movie and and a, a really really moving um, piece of work. Um, the other movie I watched this year, which I, I really recommend and obviously got acclaim already, but it I, still worth saying, Manchester by the Sea. Oh yes. um, one of the best scenes I've seen in film for a, for a long time, and and with two of the most two very talented actors um between um michelle williams and casey affleck um, yeah. they're seen together um where they have an argument is is one of the most powerful moving short scenes i've ever seen yeah yeah so i enjoyed that and what about uh uh, uh, uh plays is there anything coming up that we apart from am i fuckable and uh, model organisms of course um anything that you're looking forward to well what you have seen recently Shameless plugs for our friends. I'd have to say, um, check out the work of Fanny Tasticles. Yeah. They're an incredible group, <laughs> and um, that you know, it's always worth um, catching them. I've seen, I had an opportunity to see them a couple of times, and yeah. I think they're brilliantly funny. Ten women. steps to happiness. Oh yes. Uh, what else? Sweet meat. Sweet meat. Um, friend of ours is directing that. Um, Where's sweet meat? That is on. At, I think it's at the jukebox. It's at the jukebox. Yeah. yeah. Um, sweet uh, sweet jukebox. Yep. Um, and. Also, um, Spunglass Theatre are doing some uh, an amazing project um, at the Jukebox where they're mentoring six uh, sort of new um, acts yeah. um, with new shows at um, Sweet Venues. <laughs> um, so the other question that we often ask, did you, when you were younger, or even maybe only last week, did you invent something or come up with the idea for something or plot a movie or story that somebody else got to first and that they're, they're now a millionaire and you're not? 
There's been a lot of outfits in fashion history that I've been annoyed about. Yeah. Like the way that with um, street trends, they kind of always work kind of five years uh, before the catwalk. Sure. So, uh, for example, the 80s thing's really in my head at the moment because the 80s is all over Vogue. And then like five <laughs> years ago, I was like wearing really dodgy 80s vintage clothes and seen as deeply uncool. And now it's hit. So if anything, I think I'm ahead of my time. <laughs> you, you're a trailblazer. <laughs> Yeah, Richard, are, are, are you into wearing dodgy AC fashions? Occasionally, I yeah. like to I like to to mix things up. Yeah. You know, a bit of seventies, bit of eighties here and there. Mainly, I think I'm uh, an emo kid from the early two thousands who wears a lot of skateboarding clothes. But you know, yeah, uh, you have your influences. Um, I um, was going to say like about it's an interesting question you're saying about um, having something that. Um, you've sort of thought of and then you haven't done but you've seen appear somewhere else Um, when I was a kid I used to have a recurring dream and it was something I always really wanted to to write which was a story um, about a policeman who had uh, multiple personality disorder um, and turned out that he was trying to solve the crime of the murders that he committed yeah Um, but then at the late 90s there was that wave of like uh, Rear Window uh, with Johnny Depp there was Fight Club there were all these movies with the split personality disorder and I and by that point I was like there's so many now of the split personality disorder things that I just thought I can't do that now (laughs) certainly certainly not as a a, a twist at the end of of the narrative not now I've given it away especially well no We, we we should just uh, um, acknowledge for the the pedantics in our audience that we know that um, Jimmy Stewart was in Rear Window and Johnny Depp was in Secret Window. Secret um, Window. Oh God, yeah. Which is an interesting film. Yeah. Um, Imagine all the hate mail I'm going to get over Twitter now. I know. I know. We'll we, we, we'll we'll forward it to you. Good. Um, Good. Uh, the other thing I want to ask, uh, which has got an interesting hit rate on in terms of answers, because um, I imagine because you are devisers Team that this. Jacob. Uh, that this may not necessarily be an easy answer. Uh, you're Team Jacob, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I took me that long to get on on, on the answer. Uh, so, you, so you're more into hairy werewolf than you are to pretty I'd vampire. Say, yeah, I'd say more so than uh, than, than Team Edward. Chelsea, what, what are you? Team, team Edward all the team way. Team Edward, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's, you know. What, do I want a hairy, weird dog or like a sexy, shiny, semi-feminine man? <laughs> oh, I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, and Jacob just takes his shirt off at every opportunity. <laughs> he, um, I mean, not that he's not lovely, but no, no. it's just not my vibe. What was the original question? Sorry. Well, the original question, which no. we didn't even get to, because um, <laughs> we got just, just distracted by uh, Jacob, yeah. um, is, uh, is acknowledging that perhaps you don't necessarily have an answer for this because you are, for the most part, at the moment, devisers rather than writers but is there a place in Brighton that you hang out where you want to create or where you feel creative a coffee bar or a bar where you feel the vibes are right for me small batch coffee yeah um, company um do a lot of right do a lot of writing do a lot of work and planning in there um, any one of them because there's more than one isn't there it's changed because since I moved back to Brighton since they've been a, an entity I've kind of lived in Hove for a bit and I've lived in Brighton for a bit sure. so it started off being the ones in Hove but more recently I'd say Jubilee Street you can normally yeah. find me there if you stalkery I yeah, guess yeah. <laughs> um, this is the only reason we do this question <laughs> but um, the, the, the one that I wrote a lot of um, Decade 20 at is uh, God I can't remember what, uh, 
can't remember what it's called. Um, there's a coffee shop on George Street which has an orange facade. Um, it's like refresh or. Is this like write in if you know the answer? Right, please write in if you know the answer. So this is over, over in Hove. But it's over in Hove on yeah. George Street. There's an it's an amazing coffee shop. They have um, like coffee bags. Their seats are made out of coffee bags. Yeah, and it's just a, it's it, it's just a really lovely place. And the, the guy in there was always really sweet. He always just give me like free like biscuit with my coffee and stuff, which is always well, nice. Oh, you like grey fries, Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> People will feed you after a while if you go there often enough. Yeah. Again, uh, along with all the uh, hate mail over Twitter, if you want to send me biscuits, always yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or a freshly ground coffee. Exactly. Um, Chelsea, do you go anywhere for your freshly ground coffee? I'm pretty poor, so I like going to the library. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, but I actually really like the library, and I've always loved libraries. Um and it's really good if you want to hide and you don't want to see anyone you know, um, which I quite enjoy not seeing anyone I know sometimes. So you probably so. don't want to say this <laughs> on a public forum. I mean, I love everyone, of but course. sometimes like the library... don't tell them that your hiding place <laughs> is a library. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really great in there. And like, um, I like the fact that it's actually quite noisy in the main Brighton library and there's yeah. often kids screaming and someone having an argument. And I find that quite interesting. What's so. the best argument to have? in the library one about being quiet <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's my favourite yeah. yeah Um, what was the last book you borrowed from a library Ooh, do you remember um, it was probably a script um, because the theatre section is often well perused by me um, yeah it's a decent uh, selection at the Brighton there library, is actually. yeah I think it might have been I can't remember I think it was the History Boys. Oh, yeah. I think that was the last script I got out. There's not a significant amount of decent female roles in the History Boys. No, it was for a little show called Not Just a Companion. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was searching for male scripts for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we should have put in... That's remiss of me. We, we should talk about Not Just a Companion because uh, we spoke about it in the first episode. It's uh, for those of our listeners who don't know what Not Just a Companion is... It's um, an evening for International Women's Day where the argument being that um, there are not often a good number of roles that recognise the talents of women. And there are lots of there's Hamlet and whatever. There are iconic male roles. And yes, we can create decent, fantastic roles for women. That is true. But audiences are often enamoured with the classic male iconic roles that they already know. And so last year we did an evening of uh, gender-flipped um, male roles um, read by fantastic women which included yourself uh, but this year you were somewhat more involved yes this year I had the privilege of curating it um, which meant I got to meet and work with some really incredible actresses um, and it was such an interesting experience um, looking at male scripts and realizing how they you know how it could become relevant to a woman's voice yeah. um, so really inspiring yeah really interesting yeah we were speaking about this, as i say in episode one one of my favorite moments in uh this year's not just a companion was there were at least two or three roles where because i wasn't familiar with the original inception of that part i genuinely couldn't see how the speech would sound better coming out of a male voice because uh, the women who were playing those roles really just owned it yeah totally they were a powerful bunch and like some of the performances were truly fierce and I think the way that they flipped some of those parts like um, because some of the actors chose their own um, speeches or scenes um, 
even I was amazed at how they managed to reown them for, yeah. for the female. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, indeed, it was a great joy to, to watch that. Um, what, because Popheart, you appear to be the sort of um, guys who already know what you're doing in seven years' time. So you, you probably have a vague idea that once the fringe is done, you, you might know what you're doing next. So what are you doing next? Well, I think Rich is going to start writing again, I think. Yeah, um, we've been, I mean, the, the show that we're... Uh, Am I Fuckable is a show that we've been sort of working really hard on for two years and we've sort of put our sort of all our energies into doing that and I think for next year um, back to the, the drawing board or writing board as it were yeah. and uh, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm milling about um, which should be interesting Do you think it will be written or will there be devising incorporated into that? Um, I think an element of devising will always influence our work um, in some way Um, I think but I think this will be more rigid in terms of it will be scripted by my it will be written by myself Um, but there will be um, again some devising to sort of get the best out of it and so you think that will be for the uh, the Fringe 2018 Fringe 2018 and we're probably going to be looking at doing um, Edinburgh um, that year as well we're going to go up to Edinburgh and do some scouting and, yeah. and scout for, for 2018 so it all begins here all begins here well that's a, a lovely place to end it then so thank you Pop Heart Productions uh, Chelsea Newton Mountie and Rich Foister uh, it's been fantastic to talk to you before we uh, lose sight of each other tell me one more time what your dates are for this year's friends and My Fuckable 3 is being performed at the Studio 3 at the Warren. We are performing the 15th to the 18th of May at 9.30pm, the 3rd to the 4th of June at 9.30pm, and we have two slots at Fringe City, so come along and see us. Uh, we are performing on the 13th of May at 1.18pm and on the 14th of May at 2.58pm. Fantastic. Pop Art Productions, thank you very much. Thank you very much. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast, presented by me, Andrew Allen, edited by Michelle Donkey. Music is Chapstick by Edward Armand. Find us on Twitter at cast underscore iron acts, on Facebook with ironclad cast iron, all one word, and our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.